You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, in the name of Allah, the most gracious ever, merciful. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. May the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you, dear listeners. Welcome to this Monday's edition of The Breakfast Show. Today, the Monday, uh, Monday the 5th of September, you join myself, Khalid Banu, and Imam Shazeb Atar. Um, brother Atar, how are you today? Alhamdulillah, very good. How are you, Brother Khalid? Yeah, not too bad. I was... Um, I uh, had a little bit of uh, happiness when I saw Man United win the oh, match. Oh, yeah. <laughs> They've, um, under the new management, are, are doing wonders, and that stops Arsenal's um, streak of winning, a ring streak. So, yeah, it's yeah. Been, a, been a weird old season this, thus far. Yes. Um, but, yeah, we'll see what happens. Exactly. Um, yeah, so the weather, I mean, the sun's shining through the studio windows, but uh, let's have a look a little bit deeper into the weather forecast. So... According to the Met Office, um, there will be some sunny uh, spells today, uh, but there will be some outbreaks of rain uh, later on also. Um, they says, let's have a look what else it says. It says, tonight there'll be areas of some heavy rain and thunderstorms moving northwards across much of the UK, becoming drier in the south and windy in the far north. The outlook for Tuesday, it says that there'll be some rain, showers and thunderstorms continuing to affect many parts through a uh, dry start. Um, and there'll be, you know, um, dry start for many in the south and it will stay windy in the far north. Let's have a quick look at the outlook for Wednesday up to Friday. So it will be remaining unsettled with showers and locally heavy with hail and thunder also likely. There'll be some brighter spells in between and it'll be often breezy and the temperatures will remain near to normal. Yeah, so it's time of um, back to school and time to get the brolies mm. out again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. Exactly. So is there anything in the news that's caught your eye? There is. This yeah. is very interesting. Um, so the highway code, um, which I'm sure many of our listeners have thoroughly read, mm. <laughs> Well, in reality, um, the AA survey suggests that 61% of drivers have not read the new guidance. Um, And the Motion Group survey of 13,327 members suggested that 8,090 drivers had not read the changes made in January. So what are the new changes? Well, vehicles must give at least... 1.5 1.5 meters or that's 4 foot 11 inches space when overtaking cyclists and 2 meters or 6 foot 7 inches for horses drivers and other road users must give way to pedestrians crossing at road junctions and not allowed to cut across vulnerable users when exiting a junction the highway code now advises cyclists to ride in the centre of lanes on quieter roads, in slower moving traffic, and when approaching junctions. Now, a hierarchy of road users was also introduced, meaning a driver in a car, van or lorry has a greater responsibility mm. to watch out for others. The UK government has said the changes would enhance safety for all road users. So it's... Um, yeah, something for all of us, mm. all the drivers out there, to yes. make sure that they are aware of these changes. The new guidance being around pedestrian, cyclists, and horse riders. Mm. You know, some of the other interesting changes I heard um, were that uh, <laughs> if you were to 
splash a pedestrian, hmm. you could be uh, fined up to five thousand pounds. Oh wow! Yes, and and also get points. And then the other thing is that if you unnecessarily beep your car horn, you could hmm. be fined up to forty pounds and also get points. So wow! So there's a lot of uh, different rules and regulations coming in. But, no, but upon the um, horning mm. point, um, yesterday I was told of various. Um, sports enthusiasts mm. you were watching the cricket um, the, most notably the, the the Pakistan and India match in which mm. Pakistan won mm. uh, which a great victory <laughs> um, and yeah in some parts of London various drivers were horning and beeping the oh, cars you yes. can only imagine the situation <laughs> yeah wow no that's 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 always a norm isn't it yeah but there's some of these I mean if they, people want to see more or information about these changes they just head to the website, the government website, gov.uk. That's gov.uk. You can see more of those um, changes to the highway code. So let's turn to the paper. So, yes, so today they will be announcing the new leader of the Conservative Party um, about half past 12 mm. in the Houses of Parliament in the Commons. And then um, the tomorrow the um, it will be that actual official, you know, Swearing in of the the, the new prime minister, but mm. of course everyone's saying it's going to be Liz Truss. You know, that's what the polls are suggesting. Yeah. That's what the majority of the analysts are suggesting. Yes, yeah. Mm. And one of the things that she she wants to tackle when she comes into power is that mm. she wants to uh, try and uh, sort some out sort out some of these um, energy, energy issues prices, yeah. and, and mm. price caps and these things. You know. Mm. Um, yeah, so she wants to put a you know, freeze, actually wants to freeze energy mm. bills. Um, one of the um, other interesting stories I, I I heard this morning was about these stabbings in Canada. Yes. Fortunately, there was, you know, there's some stabbings which took place in uh, Canada. And um, they say around 10 people have been um, uh, the subject of um, this, you know, abhorrent attack. Mm. Um and as part of me, ten people have lost their lives, um, and there's still there's a, there's a manhunt to find those two suspects, um, mm. and they've been named. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's absolutely um, terrifying, and um, you know our thoughts and prayers are with the the family members of those that have sadly passed away. Exactly. You know the thing is like what actually happened. There was um, like you said, ten people were unfortunately uh, killed and passed away. At least fifteen wounded, and in a spate of stabbings in thirteen locations wow. across an indi- indigenous community and a nearby village uh, in the Canadian uh, province of Saskatchewan on Sunday. You know, it's really sad to hear that. Mm. And uh, the Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, he said he's vowed to bring those uh, responsible to justice. You know, and they must be yeah fully brought to justice. But that's sad. You know, he says. What actually happened was that um, police first began receiving reports of stabbings around 5:40 a.m. on Sunday in the James Smith Cree, James Smith Cree Nation community. Reports of additional attacks quickly followed in the nearby village of Bolden, northeast of Saskatoon. Both communities are sparsely sparsely populated, with 3,400 and 200 people respectively. They've also said that at least 15 people were taken to hospital although there may be additional injured victims who transported themselves to various hospitals. Uh, Rhonda Blackmore, commanding officer of the Saskatchewan Royal Canadian Mounted Police, said, and Mark O'Donnell, spokesperson with STARS Air Ambulance, 
said two helicopters were sent from Saskatoon and another from Regina. So like you said, our, our thoughts, our prayers are with this uh, Canadian community. And we hope that, you know, um, they catch the perpetrators very quickly. Mm. You know, it's, 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 it's really sad. 100%, yeah. Mm. It's very, um, very worrying to see where, you know, the world is headed with these. Mm. I mean, even here at home, you know, a couple of weeks back, the stabbings and what have you. Yes. Um, shootings in Liverpool, you know. Mm. Exactly. Um, so, in other, in other news, um, as you uh, pointed towards earlier on, you know, this afternoon we'll be find out who will lead our country. Um, and so, the new PM effectively inherits a, fl- a flagging economy with inflation at, say, 40-year high. And the BBC News has been told that a menu of options has been worked up in Whitehall to help struggling households, including a freeze on energy bills. Industry sources are increasingly optimistic that the new Prime Minister will back plans to freeze the energy cap and the maximum price for domestic gas and electricity is set every three months by mm. regulator Ofgem. Now, this would not necessarily require upfront government financing at the beginning, um, but it follows multiple meetings with government, including ministers close to the Foreign Secretary, Liz Truss. And as we were talking about earlier on, you know, Ms. Truss has been tipped by bolsters to win the contest. Um, and she's promised to announce further help to shield consumers within a week of taking over. She then plans to deliver £30 billion in tax cuts mm. through an emergency budget later this month, arguing the UK's tax burden is behind sluggish growth. And her firm uh, rival, the former Chancellor, Mr Sunak, has signalled he believes he has lost seeing his job now is just to support a Conservative government. So, mm. in any case, we'll find out um, at 12.30 this afternoon and... Um, 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 you know, mm. we hope for the best for the country because um, situation. You know, you know, across all of Europe, across all every every part of the world, really is um, somewhat similar. Dare I say, even worse. Um, but yeah, that is the current situation. Mm-hmm. Now, um, oh, I wanted just to briefly touch upon this uh, <laughs> uh, Manchester United, like we were saying earlier, yeah. how they won. You know, and and, and I was I was. I was I was watching the highlights yesterday evening, um, mm. and I saw the two goals by Ra- Marcus Marcus Rashford were really mm. good, and the goal the initial goal by Anthony was beautiful. Mm. The goal by Anthony, and um, like you were saying, this has uh, ended um, Arsenal's really really good start to the season. Mm. You know they were doing really well, hundred percent start actually. Yeah. So um, you know, this is good, and and the thing is like this player Anthony, he was. He, you know, yeah, Marshall. He was cost on a few bit. Uh, you did, you did, pounds, yeah, you <laughs> yeah, did, and uh, he was, um, you know, he was sent on loan as well. I can't remember where now, across Europe somewhere. Mm. Um, and even when Marcus Rashford, you know, last season, yes, hardly any playing time, but now new management's coming, Tegard's coming, and he's put trust in this sort of new set of players. I say new set, mm. old players, but he's put further trust in them, and. Um, yeah, they're doing wonders for the for the team. Exactly, and you you were mentioning about the um, the the the, the stabbing of the poor year old girl, uh, nine year old girl in uh, Liverpool, and so 
you know, arrests have been made over the nine-year-old's murder. Mm. Uh, so a man has been arrested on suspicion of murder and attempted murder over the killing of nine-year-old Olivia Pratt Corbell. The 44-year-old uh, from Liverpool is being questioned by detectives from Merseyside, Merseyside Police. Two other men aged 29 and 41 have been detained on suspicion of assisting an offender. Olivia was shot when a gunman chased another man into her home in Dovecote, Liverpool, on the 22nd of August. The man arrested on suspicion of murder and attempted murder was detained in Runcorn in the early hours of Sunday and is being held in custody, police said. The 41-year-old from Nosley Merseyside was also arrested in Runcorn. Police said the 29-year-old man was arrested later after officers executed warrants at two addresses in the Liverpool area. Uh, Detective Chief Superintendent Mark Kameen, uh, who's leading the investigation, said, We still need the public's help in ensuring that we can build a strong evidential picture uh, so that justice is served for Olivia and her family. I mean, it's just a sad thing. It was like during those summer holidays, yeah. the longest holiday period for the, you know, for the UK and uh, for the school children and pupils, and to have that happen is such a yeah. tragic, tragic story and it was such a waste of life, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's very, I mean, something which could certainly be avoided. Yeah. And gun crime here in the UK, it's, you know, unheard of. I mean, mm. comparatively to other nations, you know, very, very low. But, um, yeah, mm. we then we, you know, always revert to what Islam states, you know, that's just the, the destiny, really. Um, you know, our lives have been written mm. by the Almighty, but um, you know, our thoughts and prayers are with the deceased family, and um, yeah, we hope you mm. know, Allah grants some patience through this tough period. Exactly. There's one um, um, article I wanted to talk about. There was um, it says that Britain should ban all imports of cotton from the Xinjiang region of China, where the government has been accused of crimes against humanity towards Uyghur Muslims. Uh, Tom Tickenhut has said, the Conservative MP who has been tipped for a ministerial job in the Foreign Office if Liz Truss wins the Tory leadership contest today said Britain has uh, banned slavery a long time ago and we should not be buying goods made in such a way. A UN report into alleged human rights abuses in the Xinjiang region of northwest China said last week that the regime, uh, the regime may have been guilty of crimes against humanity there. The report said labor and employment schemes in the region may involve elements of coercion and discrimination on religious and ethnic <coughs> grounds following reports of Uyghur people being forced to pick cotton for little or no pay. Mr. Tugendhat, the chairman of Parliament's Foreign Affairs Committee, writes in today's Daily Telegraph that the next Prime Minister should explore the possibility of banning the import of all cotton products known to the uh, known to be produced in the whole or in part in the Xinjiang, uh, Xinjiang uh, region in line with the um, WTO rules. Yeah, this, I mean, again, you know, we touched upon this last week mm. and this is, you know, um, the language you see, it's a bit, you know, it's a bit vague you know, in the sense that, you know, the, the, there's alleged human rights abuses. You know, everyone's yeah. very well aware. In this age of modern um, digital know, social yeah. media mm. and so on, we know that these crimes are being committed. So it's just, uh, you know, what's sad is I think this, the 
lack of response, I think, from from world leaders yeah. with regards to this issue, and it's been going on ongoing for for a while now. Mm. So that's that's that, that needs to sort of be sped up. Um, I think I think where there's a political tension, um, where there's a financial potential. I mean, let's just be frank about this. Yes. And China's a huge exporter mm. of all sorts of goods. Mm. And nobody wants to be on China's bad books. Um, and so, you know, people might, some countries might refrain from calling other countries out. Yes. Because it will hurt the economy furthermore. I mean, like this article in front of me now mm. um, about the energy crisis, yes. you know. So, relating to all the whole issue, Germany has announced a fifty-six point two billion pound package of right. measures to ease the threat of rising energy costs. Mm. Um, and the package is much bigger than the two previous ones. Mm. This one will include a one-off payments to the most vulnerable and tax breaks to energy-intensive businesses. And um, you know, Ukraine has urged Europe to stand firm. President Zelensky said Russia was trying to destroy the normal life of every European citizen. In his nightly address on Saturday, he said Russia was preparing a decisive energy attack on all Europeans, and only unity among European countries would offer protection. But these you know nations have to, you know, make um, these packages so that they. Mm citizens can survive and just lastly upon this point mm. um, several hundred protesters gathered at Lumbim in north eastern Germany which is where the terminal of the Nord Stream gas pipeline from Russia is located and they were calling for the commis- commissioning of the Nord Stream to a new pipeline which is about to go online but was blocked by the German government after the invasion. And two days ago, Russia said it was suspending gas exports to Germany through the already operating Nord Stream 1 pipeline indefinitely. And the standoff with Russia has forced countries like Germany to find supplies elsewhere and its stores have increased from less than half in June to 84% full Mm. day. So, yeah, on the one hand, you know... um, those pipelines are being intentionally um, closed. Yes. Um, but on the other hand, there are other avenues which are opening up. So, mm. yeah, hopefully this energy crisis um, is adverted at all costs because, you know, winter is mm. um, somewhat knocking on the door and everybody the wants to be prepared. 100%. And the thing is, uh, let's hope that and pray that uh, the new chancellor, uh, after the new government is formed mm. uh, under we think it would be Liz Truss. Mm. Let's hope that we also get a similar package. 56 billion is a generous... Uh, Very generous package, yes. Uh, I, I'm not sure if we'll, we'll cover everything, but I think we could uh, we could do with such help as well. <laughs> mm. Well, shall we take a very short break, ladies and gentlemen? Uh, please do not go uh, anywhere. Uh, have your coffees and your teas and breakfast ready and join us after this very, very short break. Allah. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Asalaamu Alaikum and welcome back to the Breakfast Show here at the Voice of Islam. Just before the break, we were talking about the morning papers and see what's uh, um, in the morning news, but it's time that we start our first segment, which will be about digital poverty. 
So a new study by the Institute of Development Studies has found that the poorest households in the UK are trapped in the digital poverty cycle. Many have at times prioritised broadband bills over clothing and food. From the 22nd of August, the BBC has reported that the government is launching a new system to simplify access to cheaper broadband. So, what is digital poverty? Well, technology has become a fundamental part of people's daily lives. And according to the Digital Poverty Alliance, digital poverty is the inability to interact with the online world fully, when, where, and how an individual needs to. Now, according to an article by NCFE, three of the biggest factors contributing to digital poverty and enabling the digital divide are financial poverty, causing digital poverty, access, which can be the result of geography, and skills, including lack of education. According to a 2020 report by UNICEF, the digital divide was heightened by the pandemic. The report, which looked into internet access for children and young people, found that two-thirds of the world's school-aged children, or 1.3 billion children, aged between 3 to 17 years age, do not have internet connection in their homes. And a similar lack of access among young people aged 15 to 24, most notably, or in other words, 759 million, uh, or 63%, um, are unconnected at home. And the World Bank highlights that at the end of 2021, nearly 3 billion people remained offline. The majority of these figures are centred in developing countries. Furthermore, 43% of the world's population are not using mobile internet, although they are living in areas with mobile broadband coverage. It's interesting, you know, we were just touching upon this last time, we were saying, you know, that um, it's, we were talking about social media, and, 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 you know, the thing is, the technology and the support needs to be widespread, it needs to be across the board. Mm -hmm. So we found that during lockdown, although, you know, a lot of classes moved online, Mm -hmm. not all the pupils, unfortunately, whether the primary or secondary school or university even, yeah. they didn't have access, you know, proper access to, to these uh, platforms. Um, but I'm glad to say that we are joined by our first guest this morning. We have on the line with us Helen Milner, OBE, who's the Chief Executive uh, of Good Things Foundation. Uh, assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you, and welcome to The Breakfast Show, Helen. Good morning, lovely to be here. Good morning, thank you for joining us this morning. So Helen, could you please tell us more about yourself and the Good Things Foundation? Yeah, so Good Things Foundation, we're a national and international charity working in digital inclusion. So we believe that everybody should have the opportunity to thrive by using the internet. And we work with community organisations right across the UK, so all four nations of the UK, um, and we also work in Australia, and we have um, partner um, NGOs in uh, Poland and Romania as well. And so we provide support um, in that local area, in the local community, for people to get skills if they need it, but also to get a device or to get free internet data as well. That's really, really good. Now, the topic of our discussion this morning is digital poverty. So how how does the digital divide... Act- you know, affect society, Helen? 
Well, it's um, unbelievable, I think, for people who are online and have been online maybe for a very long time, that there are two million households who um, can't afford to be on the internet. And there's 10 million adults who don't have the basic digital skills. So for those people, either it, if it's an issue of affordability or if it's an issue of skills or often it's an issue of both, um, they're excluded from things such as, you know, for the children um, not being able to do their homework online or not to homeschool during the pandemic, for adults not being able to apply for benefits or apply for work, um, not being able to get, you know, we talk about the cost of living crisis a lot at the moment. And of course, lots of the discounts and being able to shop around, that happens online. People who are online save money um, and they don't have access to things like uh, support and some of those, um, that software that can help you with your financial management. But most importantly, the thing that we find um, that uh, everybody who is digitally excluded says is about how uh, the internet has um, connected them with friends and family be they locally or be they um, around the world. And now, looking more specifically at wider inequalities, um, how are communities affected by the digital divide? Um, so, that, um, because digital exclusion um, or digital poverty is very much aligned with uh, other forms of poverty, financial poverty specifically. You'll have whole communities where people um, have um, uh, lower incomes and that they will uh, then not be able to get work or find work or apply for jobs or, you know, now so, so, so often they're online, uh, online interviews, online applications. Um, I think if you're thinking about communities specifically, um, one thing that uh, hopefully a lot of your listeners recognise is that there are local community organisations working within your local community, often to help people with a whole range of things that they might be experiencing, you know, be it running a food bank or running a job club or just being a general place where people can drop in and get all kinds of different support. And those communities that um, can see that local people are excluded from the internet can be part of Good Things Foundation. So good thing, everything that we do for communities and for people is free. Um, and we do that by working with businesses and with government um, to get, uh, to get uh, a sponsorship and to get donations and to get that support and that offer down to that front line within the community. And Helen, what's sort of your approach and strategy to end digital poverty through the National Device Bank and the Data Bank, um, which is run by the Good Things Foundation? So what we think that we need to do as Good Things Foundation is provide what I think is like the social infrastructure. You know, you know, people talk about the sort of infrastructure of the pipes and the ground, etc. But that social infrastructure for digital inclusion and so we see that there's uh, three things that people need. They need that local support and they need support to get skills and to know what the different websites and things are that they can use that will benefit to them. But a lot of people also can't afford access. So we have what we call a national device bank and that's where businesses can give us their old uh, computers and their old smartphones and we refurbish those and get those through our community partners and down to local people. And we have a national device, sorry, a national data bank, 
which is absolutely amazing. So this was set up with Virgin Media O2, and it now has SIMS and mobile internet data from Virgin Media O2, Vodafone, and three for half a million people. Um, so that's an absolutely free, uh, so it's a SIM um, or a voucher to help people to actually get free uh, mobile internet access as well as calls and texts for those people who are struggling, who can't afford it, and that's all available through our national um, network of community partners. And just lastly, how can people get involved in tackling digital poverty? And is there a need for the government to do more to tackle the gap in digital exclusion? Um, two big questions there. And so firstly, um, can people get more involved? I would say if local community organisations can get involved and then they can get access to that local da- that free internet data from the data bank and get involved with the device bank. And also we've got a, an online learning platform called Learn My Way. So I think that there are people in all communities um, who, who are struggling with using the internet. So absolutely, people can volunteer locally or they can look at Good Things Foundation online. And we take donations. Um, and the government should be doing more because it um, understands that the people not be able to afford the internet or not be able to use the internet is keeping people, even from the very basics of using things like government websites, um, and so I feel at the moment uh, they slightly play, pay lip service to it, that they understand that it exists, but I don't see it's their problem to tackle. So I think there should be more funding, more join up across government, and they should absolutely put some money where their mouth is and um, make sure that they're investing properly in a, a digital inclusion strategy right across government that reaches down into communities and supports those people who are being left behind. Brilliant. Well, Helen Miller, OBE, thank you so much for joining us this morning and taking the time out to speak with us. Um, and hopefully we can speak to you in the very near future. Lovely. Thanks so much for having me on. A pleasure. Helen Miller, OBE, Group Chief Executive of Good Things Foundation. Um, we'll go for a short break now and after the break we'll continue with this discussion around digital poverty. The firm one, the one with extreme power, which is both complete and unwavering. Surely it is Allah himself who is the great sustainer, the powerful, the strong. Hazrat Abu Huraira, may Allah be pleased with him, narrates that the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said, No fatigue, disease, sorrow, sadness, hurt, nor distress befalls a Muslim even if it were the prick he receives from a thorn, but that Allah expiates some of his sins for that. Al-Majid The Glorious The one who is most glorious with perfect power and high status. He is the most forgiving, the loving, the Lord of the throne, the Lord of honor. Writings of the Promised Messiah Allah, the Lord of glory, has also given me the glad tidings that some of the nobility and some of the kings will also join our group. He vouchsafed to me the revelation. I shall grant you blessing upon blessing, so much so that kings will seek blessings from your garments.
those who seek blessings in this manner will enter into the ba'ath, the Pledge of Allegiance. Because of their entering into the ba'ath, their governments will also practically belong to this community. Then I was shown those kings in a vision. They were riding upon horses and were not less than six or seven. I saw in a blessed dream a group of sincere believers and just and righteous kings, some of whom belong to this country, India, some to Arabia, some to Iran, some to Syria, some to Turkey, and some to other regions of which I am not aware. Thereafter, I was told by Allah the Almighty, these people will affirm your righteousness and will believe in you and will call down blessings upon you and will pray for you. I shall bestow great blessings upon you, so much so that kings will seek blessings from your garments and I will join them amongst your sincere followers. This is the dream that I saw, and this is the revelation that was vouchsafed to me by God the All-Knowing. The Promised Messiah, peace be on him, the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community in Islam, states, If you wish that God should be pleased with you in heaven, unite and be one like two brothers of the same mother. Nobler is he among you who forgives the sins of his brother more than others, and doomed is he who is stubborn and does not forgive. He has nothing in common with me. Live in fear lest you be cursed by God. He is holy and he is a jealous guardian over the honor of his beloved ones. The wicked cannot attain his nearness. The arrogant cannot gain his nearness nor can the tyrant, nor the one who breaks a trust. Nor can he who is not ready to lay down everything for the honor of his name, nor those who fall to the pleasures of the world like dogs and ants and vultures, and who are comfortable with the luxuries of the world. Each unchaste eye is remote from him. Each impure heart knows him not. Those who remain in agony for his cause will be delivered from the fire of hell. He who weeps for him will laugh at last, and he who breaks away from the world for his sake will meet him. Be Allah's friends with all your heart, in all sincerity, gaining his nearness with ever-growing zeal. Be kind to your subordinates, to your wives, and to your less fortunate brothers, so that you may be shown kindness in heaven. Become truly His, so that He may belong to you. You're listening to The Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. In the name of Allah, most gracious, ever merciful. Um, so just uh, before the short break, we were talking to Helen Milner, OB, 
uh, group chief executive of Good Things Foundation. And, you know, we had a really nice interview with her and, and she said some really, really interesting things. And, um, you know, hats off to them for the amazing work that they are doing. Now, talking about this topic of uh, digital poverty, how does it actually relate to the UK? So the main points from the study are as follows. The Institute of Development Studies report Digital Poverty in the UK draws on data from a survey of households in England with an annual income of less than £25,000 to assess their online connectivity. It was discovered that one in every five households has no internet access at all. This figure rises to nearly one-third of disabled people in the same income bracket and nearly half of those over the age of 65. One-fifth of those with internet access say their connection is not stable enough to perform the essential services they require. And nearly a third, which is um, nearly one-third, which is 31% of those with a smartphone or tablet limit their mobile internet use to avoid running out of data. One of the key messages from the report is that digital poverty sets up a vicious uh, circle. Those without digital connectivity lose out and become financially poorer. One in ten, which is 9%, reduce spending uh, on food, unfortunately, or clothes in order to afford phone or home internet. According to Ofcom, affordability research Individuals in the bottom 10% of the income distribution spend around 19% of the income after deducting essential costs such as housing, utilities and food on a fixed uh, broadband tariff. This is more than 10 times the average household spending of around 1.3%. According to the report, this is completely unaffordable for many low-income households, implying that the UK's cost of living crisis is aggravating digital exclusion so what are the government's plans to help um, so the ideas report highlights that a range of initiatives have been launched to address this issue including the data poverty or party parliamentary group the digital poverty alliance and the good things foundation's data poverty lab national data bank and national device bank according to an article by the bbc the government launched a new system to simplify access to cheaper broadband for UK households receiving government benefits such as universal, universal credit, pension credit, job seekers allowance and income support will be able to pay less for internet and telecoms access through the reduction of social tariffs. Councils also play an important role in assisting vulnerable groups to gain access to the internet and the local government association, the LGA, has assisted councils in expanding on this work through the Digital Inclusion Programme. As soon as the UK went into lockdown, councils mobilised to provide students with devices and internet connections so they could continue their education, according to this article. And they collaborated with their local voluntary community and social enterprise sectors to help those without digital access stay connected. Following the Department of Education's work to help children without internet access get online, the government also delivered over a million laptops and tablets and thousands of families received additional data from the uh, mobile operators. A long time uh, addressing the root cause of digital exclusion will require a fair and effective national benefit system as well as a sustainable um, uh, local safety net. 
The LGA believes that the mainstream benefits system should serve as the primary safety net for all low-income households, allowing uh, councils to direct local discretionary funding where it is most needed. The government previously committed to spending £5 billion to bring gigabit broadband to all premises by 2025, eight years earlier than the previous target. This target was later reduced in the autumn 2020 spending review and the government now aims to provide 85% gigabit capable coverage by 2025. In an article by the World Bank, they offer three aspects needed um, for countries to reap the benefits of digital uh, of excuse me of technological progress and participate fully in the global digital economy uh, so closing the global digital divide even though new technologies are spreading uh, rapidly around the world an estimated 37% of the population or 2.9 billion people have still never used the internet uh, preparing for the jobs of tomorrow, innovation is radically changing the nature of the work. New jobs are emerging, others are evolving, and to compete in the digital economy, countries will need to prioritize education and build the digital, the digital skills of their workforce. In other words, they need to invest in people. Developing secure, reliable uh, digital systems uh, as well as the um, sorry, as the world is going digital, strengthening capacity in areas like cybersecurity and data protection has become more important than ever. Well, dear listeners, we are fast approaching the eight o'clock news. Um, after the eight o'clock news, we um, after that short break, we shall be um, talking to another guest with regards to this topic, which is digital poverty. Um, but if you have any questions, comments or feedback, please do give us a ring on 0208-687-7878. You can also tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. Now, just briefly touching upon um, Brother Tan, we wanted to just look at some of the aspects of the uh, Islamic perspective. You know, Islam always talks about moderation and fairness and a balance in society. And, you know, this is one of the things I think was one of the most beautiful things I love about Islam. Yeah. You know, there's always... It's always a need to look out for your fellow human being exactly and that's the that's the true essence of what Islam is you know if somebody, somebody was to describe Islam in a couple of words that's mm. what they would come up with you know looking after one another um, which is a huge pillar of what Islam teaches us one of the fundamentals in fact the rights of others has been so much um, so talked about and um, the rights have been given to those people um, that it's immense when we understand the true teachings of Islam, the responsibilities that lie upon Muslims to make sure that they serve others is immense. And so many verses, so many quotes from within the Holy Quran, within the sayings of the Prophet of Islam, the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Notably, if we take the, the Quran, for example, um, in one part it's stated um and this is also with regards to, mind you, the element of poverty, which we've been talking about. You mm. know, poverty being a huge um, factor in whether a person can or can't remain steadfast. Yes. Um, because it, you know, the, the honest and brutal truth is it, to some extent, you know, could potentially derail an individual um, when they have to choose between either, um, you know, looking after the family or 
alternatively looking at another path which you know um, will be contrary to the teachings of a particular religion um, in order for them to serve there and look after their family so within the Holy Quran we find in chapter 6 verse 152 mm. in which Allah states and slay not your children for fear of poverty it is we who provide for you and them and we being in the context of Allah the Almighty Allah provides um, and in chapter uh, t- 2 verse 221 Allah the Almighty states and they asked thee concerning the orphans say promotion of their welfare is an act of great goodness so yeah there's an incentive there for us to make sure that we look after the orphans as you know this will be noted as a, a great goodness um, and this will be um, you know, as I mentioned, uh, certainly an aspect which you know will incentivize all Muslims to make sure that they look after mm. you know, such people. Those two, those two verses that you just quoted are so beautiful because they both mention you know particularly about care towards children, mm. right? And 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 you know the unfortunately you know this there was common practice, wasn't it, back in in, in Arabia at that time that you know. When people found that there were, there were they they were boys have given birth to daughters, yeah. and buried them actually alive, and yeah, there so, was so many you know, bad practices. You exactly, know? that, you know, that was, there was a particular tribe which had this trait of burying um, you know, infant infant baby girls, oh. um, and this was then naturally abolished when Islam mm. uh, came and prevailed. But um, mm. yeah, exactly, and mm. this is what the. Um, you know, the, the greatest part of the world, or some parts of the world, don't, don't understand mm. the amounts of freedom and rights which Islam distributed amongst, you know, its its empire, really. Um, but um, we are fast approaching the 8 o'clock news, and after the, the news, we will continue with, you know, what Islam has to say on the topic of poverty in general, um, and how it's alleviated people um, from this from a particular dire situation. Definitely. So, dear listeners, you're listening to Imam Shazay Batari and myself, Khalid Banu, um, and today's uh, breakfast show, Monday the 5th of September. If you have anything you'd like to discuss with us, if there's any of the topics I've touched you, you know, you, um, if there's anything you'd like to say, please don't hesitate. Give us a ring. This is an interactive show. You can give us a ring on 0208-687-7878. We'll be quite happy to listen to your calls. Uh, today's show uh, has been produced by Sima Brahman, and our researchers are Shanzi Mubarak and Sarah Ahmed. So please remember them all your prayers. And of, of course, we have our technical expert um, and our technical support, Mr. Akib Adnan. So please pray for him also. Uh, let's take a short break and after the 8 o'clock news we shall be coming back to the breakfast show you're listening to the voice of Islam radio Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. In the name of Allah, the most gracious, ever merciful. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. May the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you, dear listeners. I hope that you're enjoying this um, enjoying this Monday's show of The Breakfast Show. Bring broadcast here live from the Beit Futu Mosque here in South London. Uh, Beit Futu, uh, it means the House of Victory. So... Brother, we were talking about some of the Islamic uh, points regarding, um, you know, 
kindness to others and uh, sort of trying to cre- create an equilibrium in, mm. in society, you know, equality in society. And, uh, you know, it, it, there's some very, very beautiful teachings. Um, but we shall be discussing that a little bit further. Uh, we have on the line with us our next guest for this morning's show. We have on the line with us Mr. Paul Finnis, uh, who is the CEO of the Learning Foundation and Digital Poverty Alliance. Uh, Paul has worked with the uh, NGO sector for 35 years and Paul has seen firsthand the power that the right intervention in education has to um, profoundly change lives and believes strongly in transparency and ensuring that genuine change is delivered. Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you and welcome to The Breakfast Show, Paul. Thank you very much. I've been listening to it this morning and it's been just lovely to, to, to listen to. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> uh, so, Paul, could you please tell us more about yourself and the Digital Poverty Alliance? Sure, sure, sure. And I, I heard uh, you talking to Helen earlier on, so I'll try not to to uh, sort of replicate the things that uh, Helen was talking about. Okay. And uh, if it's okay, one, one of the things I wanted to say right at the beginning, you, yes. you, you talked so much, the two of you, about uh, the importance of individuals helping individuals. And I think the reality is that whatever we do at a kind of national level, and of course there's lots of things we can do to uh, encourage governments and others to get involved to help to fix this problem. But it's the reality is that you know most of the change is going to happen from one individual <clears throat> helping another individual. You know, there's neighbours and there's friends and there's people. You know, when they come together, is, is and I think that that's the the essence of change here, isn't it? Don't you think? Definitely, hundred yeah, percent. Very beautifully yeah. put there. Yeah. <clears throat> no, true, true. So the what, the, the digital poverty alliance. The idea behind the digital poverty alliance is just that. You know, w- Again, the two of you talked about all of the different <clears throat> elements that affect digital poverty, um, you know, from poverty itself, from, you know, perhaps language not being, um, uh, English not being your first language. And, and there's a whole variety. Age can often be involved in that kind of stuff. But um, the, there are so many organizations nationally and locally and at community level and things. But what we find is that uh, some may be really good at one aspect of it. So they might be really good at providing skills, let's say but have not been so much involved in providing help with actually, actually getting access to a device or connectivity or whatever. So what we're trying to do at the Digital Poverty Alliance is going to bring all of that together so that we have a kind of a proper coordinated and, and what we talk about is a sustainable response to this because one of the things we, we know is very, very important here is that if we can get a device and connectivity and support to somebody, that's really good. But what's really important is that that, that support and uh, everything is uh, is available for the long term, not just for the, not just while the uh, while we have the problems that we have at the moment. So we're trying to find a way to to make make sure that people can get what they need when they need it. Excellent. Now we've banded the term. I mean, our actual um, subject uh, topic this morning is digital poverty. Can you please, for the benefit of our listeners, explain what actual digital poverty refers to and what um, sort of factors contribute to this in here in the UK? Yeah, no, they're no, very happy to do that. I mean, and it is quite complicated because one of the things that's really important in this is that depending on how you define it, for instance, so for instance, some people define it as not having anything, not having any access to a, a computer or a mobile phone or connectivity or anything. Uh, and if that's the case, you're probably talking about one or two million households, perhaps a bit less now. Uh, but the reality is, if you're talking, for instance, instead about people who 
uh, might have access to a mobile phone or to a, a laptop, but don't have the skills to use it, don't have the skills to use it to go to work, for instance, don't have the skills to use it to, uh, to help them to learn, those kind of things, then you could be talking about as many as 10 or 12 million people in the UK right now. And again, one of the other things I really loved about listening to the conversation you've been having this morning is that, of course, this is a global issue. And um, one of the things you were talking about is, is how important that global connectivity is. And so that was really lovely to, to, to see that you talked about it from a much bigger scale, because there was one statement during pandemic, which I really loved, which was, that, you know, the kind of the human races is only as strong as its weakest link. Um, and that's, so, so to say, yes, it's really important that everybody in the UK uh, are enabled to get online and to, to benefit from access to the digital world, however they see that, whatever, whatever is important for them. But really, really important for us to take those lessons and learn and help uh, other countries around the world who haven't been involved, you know, who, who are, aren't as yet uh, as developed as us. So, so just to, to help them to catch up. So one of the really important things, for instance, about digital poverty is about, you know, what kind of, um, uh, con- you know, what kind of condition, what kind of society you're living in. And of course, in the UK, we're lucky that generally speaking, we're quite sort of digital and things. But from a very personal point of view, it's things like, do you have a computer? <laughs> do you have mm. access to the internet? Those exactly. are, you know, very, very basic things. Yes. Yeah. Um, uh, sometimes that might be, you might be have one computer in the house, but for instance, if there are two or three children, for mm. instance, and mum and dad, you know, one of my friends said the other day that his children couldn't share a banana. <laughs> you know, so, he, <laughs> so when you say, so if you've only got one device, how yes. do you share that out between, you know, when a youngster learning at school or mum trying to find work again, that kind of thing. Um, a lot about skills, and of course that's something that good things have been involved in immensely over the last few years. There's one big area, you know, which we think is actually really key to this, and that's what's called motivation. Mm. You know, so what do you want to, to go online? Because if you're an older person and people keep talking to you about, you know, oh, you need to be, you need to be on the digital world <laughs> yes. and stuff, you might be like, well, I don't really, why do I need that? Yes. Um, so motivation is important too. And the last one I'd say is about support. And that support, again, is about the community, community stuff that you talked about, which is have somebody they can talk to for advice when they need it. Definitely. And Paul, on the point of inequalities, you know, if we specifically look at the education sector, how are students yep. affected by the digital divide? Because there is an effect. Oh, yes. Uh, there is an effect anyway um, from uh, families who are in poverty. You know, you'll know that the uh, that if a child is growing up in a in a disadvantaged uh, community, then they'll, they, they will be struggling anyway to get um, anything close to the kind of levels of grades and things that uh, other youngsters um, achieve. Um, what, what we found, generally speaking, and this is true in education, of course, too, too is that um, if you add to that digital poverty, then that just either enhances the problem or it deepens the problem. So most, of, most young people now, if they're lucky enough to have a computer and connectivity at home, and lots and lots do, then they, you'll find them already anyway using the computer to do their homework, to do some research, to do some catching up with things that they've struggled with. Um, and of course, youngsters who don't have those kind of devices, those kind of opportunities, they, they can't do that. So there's no way for them to, uh, to, 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 uh, to catch up with the things they need to catch up with. And there's another thing is as the young people are growing up, what's really important is they're building skills for work. Mm. Um, as, um, you, you, I bet you're using lots of technology there in your studio. <laughs> exactly, and, um, yes. 
Yeah. And so it's really important that these youngsters are, are familiar with technology so that when they go into the world of work, they you know, they understand basic, you know, the basics of how to use technology. And uh, so, so it's not just about learning. It's about, you know, preparing young people for, for life and for, for work as well. And Paul, to tackle this digital divide, um, what yeah. are some of the resources and campaigns that are run by the Digital Poverty Alliance? Yeah. Uh, we're, we're, we're fairly early in our existence. We're about a year old. In fact, we'll be celebrating our sort of first birthday fairly soon. Um, the, and the answer is, is one of the things we wanted to do first and foremost was to kind of really understand what it is that's needed. Do you know, you, you sort of know there's a problem, but you don't know how big certain bits of the problem are. So we spent a lot of our last uh, first sort of nine months or so understand. So we just produced what we call the UK um, Digital Poverty Evidence Review. Um, and again, people are welcome to come onto our website, which is digitalpovertyalliance.org. Uh, and they can find information, not just from us, but a whole variety of other organizations and things on the research side. So now our job is we're just delivering, just uh, developing our national delivery plan. Um, and that, again, what we, when we talk about the DPA, by the way, we talk, we talk about it being a very wide, we're a very small organization, only eight, six, seven, eight of us. Mm-hmm. But, but we, we work with, you know, media like yourselves, but we work, work with Good Things Foundation, but we also work with major government departments and, uh, and uh, companies and organizations and small community organizations. Um, and so we're putting together this delivery plan, which is going to be a mixture of stuff. It's going to include definitely, and you've talked about this, uh, what the government needs to do, for sure, but we all know that there's not much money. You were also talking earlier on today about the about the cost, cost of living crisis yes. and things, and of course, there's not much money around for anybody at the moment. So, so what, you know, what is it that effectively government can do without us going just asking for money? Um, and then the last thing, really, I suppose, is is to say that already most of the bits and pieces, you know, the jigsaw puzzle already there They're, it's just a matter of bringing them together in a way that works really well so um the last, last one of the things wanted to, you, you mentioned about the million million and a half devices that the department for education sent out yes. that was brilliant but for instance as a good example they they sent the devices out but with no connectivity oh yes well, and, and, and no support yes yeah. so so you know if when something went wrong there was nothing nowhere anybody could go and they so the, the, the kids were still having to sit outside their local you know local fast food restaurant or something just to get connectivity or their library um and um uh and, and so what's important is it's you don't just fix one bit of it you fix the, the you know the whole problem really that's really true 100 percent well, Paul, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on this no, morning, and you, um, you know, it's been pleasure to for hear looking at it. Thank you, you for looking at say. this subject; it's so important. No, and no, no. Uh, thanks for this, to the community spirit which you talked so beautifully about today. Uh, that's absolutely right. So you don't need to do anything nationally. If there's things that uh, your listeners can do to to help their local neighbour or their local organisation or local school or something, then uh, then I'd recommend they do that. But absolutely, come and look at our website too, and there'll be bits and pieces on there which uh, can help too. So thank you very much. No, no thank you so you. much for being with us this morning, Paul. It's been an absolute pleasure. 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 Uh, thank you, and then. we hopefully can hear from you very soon. Yeah, that would be wonderful. Thank Thanks you so much, Paul Phillips, CEO bye. of the Learning bye. Foundation bye. and Digital Poverty Alliance. Well, that's a really nice uh, interview, and uh, again, like Helen Miller, there's so so much you know, to, they had to say on this subject, and so much um, information that we weren't aware of. You know, and this is the one thing that is, is is all well and good sending out, like he said, Paul said, sending out these devices, but then if yeah. you don't have the 
back up and support or actually the internet connection. Yeah, the infrastructure. Yeah, the infrastructure, yeah. exactly. And this is, I mean, it'd be interesting to see one day or to look at this topic again in the future because I'd like to see how it compares to Europe because I've always been aware that, you know, Europe, in, in France in particular, because I have connections with France, mm. how they are very quick and very fast at, you know, with the, the internet connection. And it's mm -hmm. just like, easily available everywhere mm. there's not always a need for, for for people to pay for it like we do here you know yeah. <laughs> but that's a topic which is discussing another 100%. time 100% no you're, you're bang on um, but, but yeah, yeah you're having these experts on uh, it certainly helps us um, you know, navigate through these tricky segments but um, we'll take a break and after the break we'll start off our second segment which will be slightly different from what we talked about earlier on this segment will be about knife crime sentencing in the UK so don't go anywhere you're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio, broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Writings of the Promised Messiah, Salam. The real purpose of all the external and internal limbs and faculties that have been bestowed on man is understanding and worship and love of God. That is why, despite a thousand occupations, Man does not find his true well-being except in God Almighty. Having acquired great wealth, or achieved high office, or having become a great merchant, or having acquired governing authority, or become a great philosopher, he departs in the end from these worldly involvements with a sense of frustration. His heart rebukes him all the time about his deep concern with the world and his conscience never approves his wiles and deceits and wrongful actions. When he takes stock of man's faculties and powers to discover his highest capacity, we find that he is invested with the faculty of seeking after God so much that he desires that he should become so devoted to God's love that he should have nothing of his own and that everything should become God's. He shares his natural needs like food and drink and rest. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. In the name of Allah, the most gracious, ever merciful. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. May the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you, our dear listeners. We hope you are enjoying the show. Uh, if not, please do give us a ring on 0208-687-7878. If there are any other topics or subject, um, subjects that you would like us to discuss, then, you know, you know the contact details, like I said, it's 0208-687-7878. Or you can also tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. We shall now be moving swiftly on to our second subject matter this morning, which is uh, knife crime sentencing in the UK. Brother Atara, if you could just, uh, Shazeb, Brother Shazeb, can you tell us more about this, please? Sure. So in recent news, I'm sure all of us will be aware that the boxer Tyson Fury has called on the government to introduce stronger punishments for knife crime after his cousin was killed in a stabbing. And speaking to the BBC, the boxer Tyson Fury called knife crime a pandemic after his cousin Rico Burton was stabbed to death in Manchester. And as a result of this, he has also called for stronger knife crime sentencing, citing that people will not understand the extent of the issue unless one of your own is effective. Two men aged uh, 20 and 21 were arrested and taken into custody. Now, according to the ONS, the Office of National Statistics, knife-enabled crime recorded by the police in England and Wales rose by 10%, taking the number up from 
44,642 in the year ending in March of last year to 49,027 in the year ending in March 2022. Hence why Fury called for the government to bring back higher sentencing for knife crime. And having said that, knife-enabled crime in 2022 was still lower than the pre-pandemic levels, which was 55,078 recorded offences. 11,122 offences recorded in London, and this is a 9% increase compared to last year. And while London continues to have the highest volume of knife crime in the country, knife crime rates are lower than 10 years ago. A 33% increase offences recorded in the West Midlands, and this is the largest percentage increase in the country uh, in the last year. And this is the second time in the last decade that the West Midlands have recorded over 6,000 knife crime offences. And it's important to note that the harm a weapons cause can have a significant emotional and psychological impact on the victim. And according to Knife and Offensive Weapon Sensing Statistics, October to December of 2021, the proportion of offenders who received immediate custodial sentences for knife and offensive weapons was 29% in 2021. The maximum penalty for an adult carrying a knife or weapon illegally can be either four years in jail or an unlimited fine or both. And those who are convicted of not carrying a knife or weapon illegally more than once face an automatic prison sentence, which is a minimum of six months. Teenagers aged 16 or 17 face a minimum four-month detention and training order. The public concern about stabbings and firmer guidance for judges since 2015 have led to longer sentences, although offenders under 18 are still more likely to be cautioned than jailed. So how is the government and councils uh, planning to tackle against this increase? Well, in May, the government lifted restrictions on stop and search to combat the increase in knife crime. Last year, the government announced £130 million which will be made available to tackle serious violent crime, including murder and knife crime. £30 million to support the police to targeted action in parts of England and Wales most affected by serious violence and up to £23 million for nearly for, for new early intervention programmes that would help stop young people from being drawn into violence. And this includes programmes which will use significant moments in a young purpose, person's life, such as when they enter police custody or accident and emergency, as opportunities for trained professionals to engage and divert young people away from violence. Looking further into violent crime, the Home Secretary announced a £150,000 package to support the communities of Liverpool and Knowsley in the wake of the tragic shootings in the city, which will provide specialist trauma-informed supports in nearby schools, as well as mental health provisions for those closely affected. Leicester's councils attempt to combat knife crime and they've introduced eight boxes that contain vital medical equipment, including protective gloves, dressings. This is the equivalent of costing the council £5,200. 
The strategy to counter serious violence aims to enhance safety and to bring communities together by listening to their needs and working with them. The public can access the boxes at any time by calling 999. Assistant City Mayor for Neighbourhoods, Councillor Kirk Master, said, Although in major UK cities it takes an ambulance an average of only seven minutes to get to the scene of a major emergency, an adult can bleed to death from a catastrophic injury in just four minutes. And these cabinets can be vital in bridging this gap. Hence, the boxes could mean the difference between life and death. So the question which I guess is on everybody's mind is as to why people carry knives in the first place. Well, you know, there are some reasons. Um, some people suggest there is a, an element of fear or feeling unsafe. Fewer police patrolling our streets, racism, bullying, rising number of children being excluded from schools. An average of 22 children uh, are excluded every day. Online threats and the lack of opportunities. But by no means, mm. you know, do these reasons um, equal the um, or equate to them carrying any sort of a weapon, um, because you know the 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 actions of those people that carry these weapons, you know, are detrimental to our society. Hundred um, percent. Yeah. And in terms of what our mm. Our, our sort of thoughts are, um, you know, when it comes to, you know, the increase in London alone, you know, London being at the the top of the order here yes. in terms of offences, um, is, you know, it's, it's eye-watering really. Mm. Um, and it's, you know, the hub, the hub of um, both, um, you know, the, fi- the financial hub and both, you know, where the, the population... Um, is gathered um, and there needs to be I think a, a crackdown mm. um, as to how and when you know this problem can be sorted I believe there was a reporter um, in America he was questioning uh, um, a senator yes and th- she was questioning the senator about the gun crime that's right and she countered with uh, saying that you you know you guys in the United Kingdom need to focus on your own country and focus on the um, the knife crime that's happening yes, over there yes. um, which silenced the reporter mind you but um, mm. yeah the issue is very much so uh, pertinent and it's and it's an ongoing issue, an issue which has to be addressed um, and there needs to be you know a proactive solution which can be brought about. I'm pleased to say that we have been joined by uh, Patrick Green. A very good morning to you Patrick, thank you so much for joining us Patrick are you there? Can you, are you, can you yeah. hear us? Yes, I can. Can Thanks you hear me? Yeah, making you loud and clear. Thank you so yes, much for joining morning. us this morning. Um, so, Patrick joined the Ben Kinsella Trust in 2016 from Victim Support, where he had been Deputy Director for London. And as a CEO, Patrick has grown the Ben Kinsella Trust from its roots in Islington, North London, to one of the country's leading anti-knife crime charities. And he's a regular contributor on TV and in the press campaigning for the adoption of a public health approach to tackling youth violence. Um, Patrick, let's begin with a brief introduction of the Ben Consider Trust. Why and when was it set up? Yeah, uh, the trust was set up following the tragic murder of Ben uh, in 2008. Um, ben was a 16-year-old schoolboy living in Islington and North London um, who was murdered um, you know, coming home following a night out with friends by three strangers. Um, 
The trust was set up by his sister and his family, um, really to try and stop what happened to Ben and them happening to somebody else. That's, that's our, our key objective. And according to statistics, there has been a 10% increase in knife crime on the previous 12 months to March 2022. What factors do you believe contribute to the rise in knife crime? Well, well, over the last uh, year, I think we've got to look about, you know, look at what's different this year to last year. And, and, you know, the obvious link is the pandemic and the lifting of the restrictions which were put in place to stop its spread. And, you know, what we saw during the pandemic was all crime uh, outside the home went down, including knife crime. Um, and, you know, we, when the pandemic hit in 2019, we, were, we had record knife crime levels. Uh, knife crime offences were running around about 55,000 for England and Wales. That dropped to around 45,000 um, at the end of last year. But this year, we've seen that increase again to just under 50,000, so a, a 10% increase. So the pandemic has, has definitely had a, an impact. It's, you know, it's impacted in all our lives. It's particularly impacted the lives of young people. But, but if, we, if we look at a, you know, a larger picture on this, um, if we go back a decade, um, probably the most startling statistic is that um, knife crime has gone up 46% in the last 10 years. So, you know, it shows it's an, a growing problem and, it, you know, it's, it's a problem that you know, we, we often describe at, you know, epidemic levels. It's, it's going, it's increasing and it's continuing to increase over, over a long period of time. The Ben Casella Trust focuses on prevention uh, through education. Um, how important has it been to educate and campaign against knife crime? Um, it, well, it's hugely important. Um, it was one of the things that we, we learned very early on as a, as a charity, um, that you know, much of the work has, that we need to do to tackle knife crime needs to be done at a really, really early stage. Um, you know, it's, while the work of the police is critically important in tackling this, you know, taking knives and those who carry them off our streets, we need to do far more to stop people carrying knives in the first place. Uh, and one of the statistics we learned early on from our work with young people was that um, young people who live in areas where they feel afraid, um, scared, um, and do not feel safe are three times more likely to think a knife will protect them and carry a knife than young people who live in an area where they feel safe. And I think that's, a, that's a, you know, a startling statistic for us all to think about, about what we can do with the young people around us to help them feel safe where they live, but also to give them strategies about keeping themselves safe. And those strategies to, you know, to evolve not carrying an eyes and putting themselves in danger and those around them in danger. So we feel that's an, an imperative first step to tackling knife crime. Um, you know, and, and our, um, for, for anyone listening who's, who's interested in doing this, I mean, parents, teachers, youth workers, anybody who's got interaction with, with young people, our website has a, a range of free resources which can be downloaded and downloaded and used with young people. Uh, and we think it's really important for us all to have meaningful conversations with young people about this subject. Um, because if you look at social media and what young people are seeing through social media, um, we really need a strong counter-narrative to, to tackle some of the images that they're seeing on, on, on social media, which normalise glorify and desensitise young people to violence and you know so we all have important work to do on this subject very much so um so patrick could you please tell us about uh, a bit more about the resources that are available and that are offered and how these opportunities impact young people 
Yeah, um, well, on a website you'll find a number of videos, um, lesson plans designed for, for school teachers, um, designed around the PSHE uh, curriculum, um, but also testimonies from, from uh, people directly involved uh, in, in knife crime. And, you know, when we set up the charity, you know, as people who have lived experience of knife crime, we felt it was really important to include the voices of people directly affected by, uh, by, by knife violence. And that's not only the victims, but, but some offenders too, um, so that you can understand you know the real impact that knife crime has on people and on communities and the awful legacy it leaves behind for everyone you know that it, it's a grief that never leaves a family when you lose someone to knife crime that's very true and uh, you know it's very sort of sobering words there you know the thing is um there's always an emphasis on 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 you know the common man and you know to do more individually but in your opinion do you think that is the government doing enough to combat knife crime uh, no, um, nobody's doing enough to combat knife crime. Um, and, you know, I, I, I would open that question up a little bit more. But in the 14 years since Ben has been murdered, we've worked with a, a Labour government, a uh, conservative Liberal Democrat coalition, and I'm counting, but I think it's four administrations of, of conservative government. Uh, none of those parties can say that they have helped they've tackled this issue as the statistics show over the uh, over that period of time um this is this is something that that politicians need to come together to work towards solving it won't be solved by any political party it won't be solved um by you know um the shouting across the, um, the peace and the House of Commons mm. at one another. This is something the politicians need, need to come together to, to uh, tackle. They, they, they need to, we need to look at a strategy that you know, goes beyond any term of office, um, that you know, focuses on 10 years and remains in place, uh, irrespective of who comes in, in, into power. Um, because this is far more important than, than, than party politics, and I think that's what we need to see an end of. Definitely, and and you know, there's amazing work that you and your colleagues are doing in the Ben Kin- Kinsella um, Trust. I mean, if if our listeners would like to get involved, is there anything that we can do um, from our end? Yeah, um, but please visit our website. Um, please support us on social media. Um, but my plea to everybody listening is that violence is not inevitable. Um, this can be solved. Um, and it may well be that if we all take that first step and, and engage with the young people around us, talk about this subject matter and help them to uh, uh, stay safe. I think that's probably the, the, the most important thing we can take at the, at the start of a, an, another busy week for all of us. Excellent. Thank you. Patrick Green, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you and thank you Likewise, for, thank for you. sharing um, your, your thoughts and uh, advice with us. Peace be upon you and have a great day. You too. Thank you. Thank Thanks. you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So the number to ring, dear listeners, is zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, so we were just talking to Patrick Green from the Ben Kinsella Trust, and Patrick was also a member of the Home Office Serious Violence Crime Task Force, uh, which was chaired by the Home Secretary and the Home Office's uh, Social Media Action Group. And in April 2019, Patrick was invited to number 10 by the Prime Minister as a member of the Serious Youth Violence Summit. So um, amazing work you know, that Patrick and his colleagues are doing there. And uh, mm. I think the onus is, is on us, I think, you know, members of the public. Of course, you know, you know it's, it's, it's an unfortunate trend that seems to be growing, you know, night crime. And like we were discussing last week, uh, Brother Shazeb, you know, it's... Imagine if if those statistics were replaced with uh, gun crime, 
And instead of 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 having issues with knife crime, we had issues with gun crime. It would be such a stark uh, and more of a harsher, you know, sort of um, situation that we would be in, isn't it? Oh, 100%. And, uh, you know, God forbid such a circumstance ever, you know, comes to light. But, um, you know, the issue is a very pertinent one and it has been for so so many years. So many people have, you know, uh, become victims and that's triggered and trickled on to, you know, those families um, that are left with, um, you know, Empty, uh, emptiness really mm. um, losing family members dear ones loved ones so it's a it's a very um, it's a very um, difficult situation to be put in and mm. you know Patrick's you know and bang on the buck when he says you know there's everybody can do more um, mm. you know to sort of combat the issue um, exactly and you know one of the things that he touched upon uh, that Patrick mentioned was that unfortunately again you know one of the things that he talked about was the things that people or the children uh, are watching or seeing on social media i.e. Uh, video games right mm. uh, those sorts of games and you see uh, some of them are so violent you know Yeah. and this is this is the thing that needs to be monitored as well and the onus is on parents and teachers and guardians and so on to, yeah. to, to see what and try and observe what the, the, our youth are, are you know are engaged in you know it's 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 a, an ever increasing problem, and I think that there really needs to be more help uh, from from individuals, because you know when you look at some of these games, like I said, they're just so violent, and it's, it's, it doesn't have to be, but that's what sells, you know, and it's popular. And the way that they're formatted and the way that they designed is very attractive and very uh, sort of appealing yeah. to to young people. Uh, and, and the thing is, when you see, I don't know, certain other um, things on social media that, that sort of glorifies violence, uh, I'm not saying all social media does, but we are very fully aware, mm. all of us, you know, in 2022, how much there is out there on social media. Yeah. And, and, and the, the worst thing is, I think it's um, like, a, like guns. Guns obviously are not so easily accessible, but, mm. you know, like, like guns, knives... Um, you know, here knives here in the UK are easily accessible, and uh, I was watching a news report the other day uh, about two weeks ago, where the mayor Sadiq Khan was walking around with um, you know some some police officers, and they were, they had gone around. I don't know what, I'm not sure what part of London it was because they were in London, right? Mm. And in a matter of minutes, they they, they were just walking around areas where they, there's known to be knife crimes and where certain use uh, uh, you know I, mean, I use the word used cautiously because mm. there's also adults involved but when they are stashing these knives and you see these machetes they're massive wow. machetes you know and, and in mm. the space of about half an hour they found like two two or three hidden in bushes where different gangs are leaving them there yeah. in the event of a, a come an together attack, yeah. yes they can just go and grab it from there so it's very, very worrying, you know, and, and and it breaks my heart. I mean, I remember years ago there was a story of a young boy called Daniel Taylor, mm. who, you know, his family had emigrated from uh, somewhere in Africa. Mm-hmm. Uh, forgive me, I'm not sure which country exactly. Mm. I think it was Nigeria, maybe. Mm. Anyway, the long, the point of the story was that my point is that this poor young boy was just coming back from school, mm. and he'd been attacked with a knife, and he unfortunately bled to death in a in a stairwell. Oh. Not far from his. It's so so heartbreaking because yeah. he's only a young child, mm. and that again, you know, just 
talk about knife crime is such a uh, is such a thing that did not need to happen. You know? Yeah, it's so preventable, and it's just the way the, the um, I think the the way that everything has been promoted in terms of mm. what you were mentioning earlier, social media, the accessibility, um, you know, the, the gang culture being promoted in various sort of music videos and what have mm. you, it's have a very negative effect on the um, on a particular part of the um, population. Yeah. Oh, we'll go for a break and after the break we'll continue with this segment and see what Islam approaches. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. The aware. The one who has knowledge of the most secret parts of everything and who is aware of all things. Do they not know that Allah knows what they make secret and what they make open? Writings of the Promised Messiah Salat, prayer, and istighfar, seeking forgiveness, are excellent remedies for apathy and indifference. One should supplicate in Salat, O Allah, alienate me from my sins. If a person continues to pray sincerely, it is certain that his prayer would be answered sometime. It is not good to be in a hurry. A farmer does not harvest the crop immediately after sowing. One who is impatient is unfortunate. The sign of a pious one is that he is not impatient. Lack of patience has resulted in many a known case of failure. If a person digs a well to the depth of 20 arms length and stops short of just one due to his impatience, he would waste his entire labor were he to dig the remaining arm length with patience, he would achieve his purpose. It is the way of God Almighty that he bestows the blessings of love, eagerness, and understanding after sufferings. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. In the name of Allah, the most gracious, ever merciful. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. May the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you, our dear listeners. Welcome back to this Monday's edition of The Breakfast Show. Uh, being presented today by myself, Khalid Banu, and our respected Imam Shazeb uh, Atar. Now, we were talking to Mr. Patrick Green from the Ben Kinsella Trust just before the break. And uh, like he mentioned, there's a very, very um, excellent website which has been set up, which is benkinsella.org.uk. And like Patrick mentioned, uh, it's got more information about the trust itself there and also about various workshops and resources and different uh, bits of information with regards to knife crime and we thought uh, that is quite important to mention what the Ben Kinsella Trust is now this was uh, a trust that was set up in the wake of a tragic killing of a, a young student now Ben was uh, Ben Kinsella was just 16 years old right uh, Brother Shazeb, when he was stabbed to death in a horrific act of senseless violence on the 29th of June 2008. Ben had just uh, been out at a local pub to celebrate uh, the end of his GCSEs, you know, unfortunately, with his friends. Now, uh, on a, what happened was that on their way home, he and his friends realized they were being followed by three older teenagers. 
So scared and worried, they decided to run home. Now, these older teenagers, they chased after them. Uh, why did they did this? Is because earlier mm. you know, there had been an, altercada- uh, an altercation in the pub, mm-hmm. and they were seeking revenge, f- um, you know, for that incident. Yeah. So Ben and his friends w- had absolutely nothing to do with this um, previous incident, mm. uh, but of course, you know, they ran because they were scared. Yeah. But when the older boys caught up with Ben in an entirely unprovoked attack, mm. they stabbed him to death. So you know that's just really really sad and Ben was the 17th teenager to be killed in London that year and you know what one of the things I always find really heartbreaking when we talk about any sort of statistics is that you know it it just happens so often that you know whether we talk about knife crime gun crime violence domestic Mm -hmm. abuse so uh, any sort of thing right accidents uh, any sort of tragic event, yeah. uh, it could be you know a, a natural natural um, disaster like floods, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know the it's it's you know we 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 mention these statistics with a heavy heart because yeah. you know that these things are is you know they're easy they're not easy to read and mm-hmm. unfortunately when you have an increase in such a tragic event like this, you know it, it comes more commonplace. Uh, yeah. And then what you see is like sometimes. Especially ones that can be prevented. Thank you. Know. You, you yes. know, the ones that, you know, the that outcome doesn't have to be that outcome. That outcome can be prevented. Yes. Um, they hurt even more. Yes. Um, and I think it's, you know, it's somewhat, dare I say, you know, we become numb to these numbers, you know, 17, 20, or whatever it may be. Mm. Um, you know, the reality is that even one is too much. Um, and, you know, with the help of Allah the Almighty inshallah mm. you know these numbers will you know start to decrease because you know the, the act that you just mentioned now that's just one uh, you know incident isolated incident there's so many others mm. um, which have left families in ruins exactly you know one of the other you know I want to just touch upon another tragic um, killing here this is again from the uh, Ben Kinsella website benkinsella.org.uk mm. And this is the story of one young gentleman. His name was Champion Gander. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a young man, 17 years old, who grew up in Custom House in Newham. He went to secondary school in Kingsford Comprehensive School in Beckton. Well, this young gentleman was a very talented young man. He loved football and played from a very young age. Uh, and he was scouted by Arsenal FC. And at the age of eight years old, he became an Arsenal trainee. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, as uh, the gentleman's name is uh, as champion entered his late teens he fell out of love with football and his passion for football began to be replaced by a passion for music Uh, his sister Jennifer talks about why and she says that he felt like you know he couldn't really relate to people in the football team so Mm -hmm. he started to to, uh, he started to be doing all their music stuff with Shaq his friend now, on May the 19th, 2013, Champion and his friend Shrek were walking through Forest Gate in Newham when they were chased by three boys in a gang. A fight broke out and Champion was stabbed 11 times and his friend Shrek was stabbed twice. Uh, one of the boys who stabbed Champion, who was just um, also 17 years old, was sentenced to 14 years in prison for manslaughter and wounding with intent. The other two boys were acquitted Champion's death absolutely devastated his family and loved ones, and as a result, his mother, Pigui, 
uh, has made it her mission to help and support families who have gone through similar experiences in honour of her son. In court, champion sister Jennifer gave her impact statement. She said her five-year-old son, Michael, still asked for his uncle and she dreads the day uh, she will have to explain why he's not there. I know that one day I will have to explain to him the harsh reality that the cruel, heartless, selfish, inconsiderate human hated Uncle Champion so much that he took his life. So, you know, it's just, again, you know, just this senseless killings is so unnecessary and it's so sad and it's so tragic. And it would be interesting to see what Islam says about these sorts of things. Well, on that very point, um, in 2008, at the 36th, annual gathering of the the Youth Association. Um, His Holiness had uh, um, addressed the the youth at that that Mm. particular moment, and he said that recently there had been a spat of youth knife attacks in the UK, which had been widely reported in the press. Such acts of violence, he said, could never be justified, and nor could taking the law into one's own hands. Revenge was not something that Islam permitted, no matter how heinous the act. And the Muslims ought to be shining examples. In this respect, he said, every person should be able to distinguish Ahmadis from other people. When people see Ahmadi, they should know that what this person preaches is most certainly what he practices. And, you know, the Holy Quran has on various occasions also condemned you know, violence. Uh, in chapter 2 verse 61 Allah the Almighty states that commit not iniquity in the earth creating disorder and in a separate place in chapter 5 verse 65 he states and they strive to create disorder in the earth and Allah loves not those who create disorder mm. so you know it, it goes without saying that you know every religion um, you know inclusive of Islam yes most certainly cannot um, you know, by any means, accept violence um, and condone the f- the fact that you know violence um, is acceptable. Um, and the promised Messiah, um, or rather his successor, uh, the fourth Caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Tahir Ahmed, he um, wrote in one of his books named Mur- "Murder in the Name of Allah." in which he stated, and I quote, as far as Islam is concerned, it is categorically and it categorically rejects and condemns every form of terrorism. Mm. It does not provide any cover or justification for any act of violence, be it committed by an individual, a group, or a government. I must strongly condemn all acts and forms of terrorism because it is my deeply rooted belief that not only Islam, but also no true religion, whatever its name, Sanction violence and bloodshed of innocent men, women, and children in the name of God. And the word Islam, you know, as we all know, literally means peace, which is the antonym of terror. And it's the obligation of every Muslim to uphold peace. Um, and this concept is so deeply rooted in Islam that the Holy Quran describes true Muslims as those who, and I quote, walk on the earth in a dignified manner. And then when the ignorant address them, they say peace. That's chapter 25, verse 64. And the Holy Quran also, you know, champions the sanctity of life. Um, and as such, it states that whosoever killed a person, unless it be for killing a person or for creating disorder in the land, it shall be as if he killed all mankind. 
and whoso gave life to one, it shall be as if he had given life to all mankind. Mm. Chapter 5, verse 33. So, in essence, you know, what we find really is that, you know, whether it be knife crime, whether it be any sorts of, yes. you know, taking a life of any sort of individual, mm. um, any innocent individual, you know, the punishment and the repercussions um, will be huge for a Muslim, um, you know, whether it's, whether it's in this world or the world to come. Yes. Um, and that's a, you know, a reminder again, you know, um, for each and every Muslim mm. to make sure that, you know, they do not, you know, tread upon this path of violence. Definitely. Very nicely summarized, uh, Brother Shazab. Thank you for that. Uh, so that brings us to the end of that uh, particular segment. So today we had been discussing uh, in the first part of our show, Digital Poverty, and we were fortunate enough to speak to Helen Milner from the Good Things Foundation. And then we also spoke to, spoke to Paul Finnis from Digital Poverty Alliance. Uh, the second topic we discussed this morning, which we just uh, finished, was about knife crime in the UK. And we were fortunate enough to speak to uh, Mr. Patrick Green from the Ben Kinsella Trust. And now for each of these uh, people that we spoke to, um, they have their own respective websites. So for the Good Things Foundation, where we talk about digital poverty, the website is um, goodthingsfoundation.org. For the Digital Poverty Alliance, the website is digitalpovertyalliance.org. And for the... Uh, when we talk, spoke about knife crime in the UK, we spoke to Patrick Green from the Ben Kinsella Trust, and their website is benkinsella.org.uk. So thank you um, to all our guests for spending their time with us this morning. It was really interesting discussions we had with them. Uh, we wanted to thank our dear listeners for tuning in to The Voice of Lime, and we hope you did enjoy the, the show. We want to thank our producer for today's excellent show, Miss Sibab Rahman. I want to thank our researchers, Shanzi Mubarak and Sarah Ahmed. And we also want to thank our technical support, Mr. Aki Banan. I would like to also thank uh, Brother Shazay Batar. Thank you for for making the show enjoyable. and uh, An absolute pleasure being with you this morning, brother. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you. It's been really enjoyable. And of course, we want to thanks and praise, uh, of course, always to Allah the Almighty for giving us the opportunity to present. And it's always an honor and a pleasure to be presenting here at the Voice of Islam. The breakfast show runs from Monday to Friday from 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. And we do have so many interesting topics uh, that we have discussed previously. If our listeners would like to listen to those, they can go to our website, voiceofislam.org.uk. Now, tomorrow's topics, we shall be discussing uh, two topics, exploring the mysterious five-mile-wide deep-sea crater. And the second topic is boosting memory performance. And is this a plausible reality? So please tune in again at 7 a.m. tomorrow morning to um, listen to those very interesting topics. Uh, you can always get involved in our programs and we do like to hear from you, so please do not feel shy. Get yourself a copy, uh, coffee or tea and give us a ring on 0208-687-7878. You can also tweet us at Voice of Islam UK if you're feeling shy and you don't want to speak to us on the phone. But, you know, we, we do welcome your comments and your suggestions and your feedback. We are fast approaching the nine o'clock news. So uh, until the next time, assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. May the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you.